0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today very good morning everybody welcome to this friday edition of squawk box karen and i uh here in the studio in london steve is up in edinburgh the dow hitting an all-time high as jobless claims come in better than expected, with markets now looking for confirmation in the non-farm payrolls reading due today. The Fed warns of stretched valuations, saying asset prices in the stock market pose a threat to the financial system. Meanwhile, Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey tells CNBC inflation is likely to be a bit bumpy this year. At the moment, we're not seeing evidence that would alarms us in terms of will this sort of become embedded in higher inflation. But we'll watch it very carefully.
1: China's economic recovery gains momentum as exports and imports both jump by more than expected in the month of April. Big Pharma shares seesaw as German Chancellor Angela Merkel opposes plans to suspend IP rights for COVID vaccines. But U.S. President Joe Biden doubles down on his patent waiver plan.
2: Well, the votes are in and the counting is going to start soon. CNBC is here in Edinburgh as we await what is a key parliamentary election, not just for the people of Scotland, but for the whole future of the United Kingdom.
0: Have you seen the size of the earnings beat we're going through at the moment? Refinitiv out with uh, some updated stats on this yesterday. Very good morning, Karen, by the way. And um, 50%. First quarter earnings per share growth rate now. 50%, which is double the expectation coming into this period. And the second quarter results are being revised upwards in terms of expectations. We're now talking about 61% upside on earnings per share here. But let me focus for a moment on Siemens, because here's another company that is delivering a beat on its forecast. So the uh, full year profit and sales outlook... Increased by Siemens as the German industrial group becomes the latest company to benefit from this reflation reopening. The full year net profit expected to be in the range of 5.7 billion to 6.2 billion euros, which is well above the previous expectations of uh, 5 to 5.5 billion. Uh, Siemens now expecting comparable revenue to rise by 9 to 11% for the full year in their forecast. And they've seen... An increase in orders as customers ramp up production. And, of course, if you uh, have seen the uh, Chinese uh, trade numbers, uh, which we're going to tell you about in more fulsome detail going forward, you'll have seen that there's been a significant ramp up in manufacturing in China and a lot of Siemens equipment feeds into that production process. So uh, the group giving us a second quarter orders line, at 15.88 billion euros, the forecast 15.07, the net profit after minorities 2.27 billion euros. The analyst forecast was for 1.56 billion. A lot more detail in this, and we're going to get uh, some reaction for you from the uh, the CEO of the business, uh, Roland Bush, uh, will speak with Annetta. That interview coming up at 7.30 Central European time. But there is a lot in the outlook and a lot in the earnings to like if you are a seaman shareholder this morning. So let's refocus on the politics. Scotland is set to begin counting parliamentary election ballots this morning, although results are not expected until the weekend. A strong performance from the Scottish National Party may see Edinburgh move closer to calling a fresh independence referendum, despite objections from UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Well, Steve, as you've seen, is in Edinburgh. Let's get straight to him now. Uh, And Steve, um, what can we talk about so far in terms of the early indications from the polling?
2: Well, I mean, there is no polling to, to really talk about. But, I mean, I have to say, south of the border in England, it looks like the Tories are having a, a pretty good time in terms of the local council elections, of which there's actually been very, very important, huge number, nearly 5,000 council seats. Of course, the, the regional mayors as well. The Hartlepool by-election, which is been, has been been Labour since 1974, is Peter Mandelson's old seat. So it looks like, despite a lot of concerns about what's going on uh, with Wallpaper Gate in Number 10 or Number 11 Downing Street, t- Boris Johnson is going to have uh, a very good 24 hours. Well, that's what we think north of the border, and this is where uh, and why we're here. It's such a pivotal moment potentially in in the future uh, of Scotland, uh, of the union, and indeed uh, what happens next for this country as well. Because, I mean, to to say what's going on now, we have to take a step back and say, look, we've had an independence referendum. Our viewers know that it was one in 2014. 55, 45, 55% to 45, it went in staying in the union. But since then, we had Brexit vote in 2016, where the British came out of the European Union, said they were going to come out 52 to 48, slightly tighter than that, um, that independence referendum. So 52% for coming out. Now, the Scots, though, then voted 62% to stay in, 62-38. And they say, and Nicola Sturgeon, Sturgeon, I should say, of the SNP and the nationalist side say, look, that proves that we have to have independence, that the will of the Scottish people is being dictated to by a Westminster, which is not looking out for our best interests as Scots who wanted to stay in the EU. And that kicked off the whole... Whole process which is culminating, I believe, now in the last 24 hours to what could be very interesting because it's not just the SNP and their hopes for getting 65 seats uh, in this uh, Scottish Parliament, which is behind me by the way, the, the vastly over budget Holyrood Parliament buildings as well. So, you've got 129 MSPs, uh, members of the Scottish Parliament. If you get to 65 for the SNP, uh, then they've done a really good job because it's a mixture of first past the post plus this convoluted PR system as well. Uh, and in fact, I'm going to set all of our viewers a little bit of work now and you and karen can do it as well can you understand the dehont system It is the most complicated thing for choosing an alternative vote or a proportional representation I've ever seen. I've been trying to get my head around it for uh, about 72 hours. Uh, Basically, it's a Belgian mathematician who came up with this as well. So Belgium is very famous for that, as well as the chocolates as well. But try and understand, viewers, the de Haunt system for choosing MPs. Anyway, you add that to the 73 seats, which are done by very easy first-past-the-post on the constituency, and then you get 129 MSPs. So if the SNP get the majority themselves, they'll see that as a massive mandate as well they had their last one under Alex Salmond in 2011 but they've also got the Scottish Greens who have seen potentially having a, a very good 24 hours just there as well plus maybe Alba, which is the new Alex Salmond party and you could get to what's called a super majority so one of the very very big questions we have now next uh, is, is does that supermajority majority for independence parties mean that there is a mandate from the Scottish people for an independence vote? And the answer is we don't know uh, because the ramifications from that are, are convoluted. A lot of the polling is actually kind of 50-50, maybe even slightly less for another pro-independence vote and indeed a yes in that as well. So there are many ramifications. Uh, of course, what happens then when there would be a vote, if there would be one as well, uh, would they vote for independence? Uh, how would it happen? How would the divorce happen the finances, and I know you've poured over the finances as well, Geoffrey, they don't look great for Scotland. I've got to say, you know, I, I love this place. But the fact of the matter is, they're spending more than the rest of the UK. They have more money sent north of the border per person than anywhere else in the United Kingdom as well. Their deficits during the crisis have been persistently worse than the broader UK. And even when the crisis is over, the likes of the IFS are saying that the deficits will be persistently hard, somewhere between high, between 8% and 10% going forward. Now, would the uh, international finance want to back with sovereign bonds a country which had such large deficits? Would it create a volatile economic environment? And would the EU want them? So many questions. Callum Pickering is going to join us now though and he might have an answer uh, to some of those questions indeed sir thank you Uh, he might have an answer to some of those questions he's a senior economist over at Berenberg and I'm delighted Callum that you can join us now I know you've been asking a lot of those questions as well but here's my first one again does a vote for Scottish independence parties or Scottish nationalist parties equal a vote from the Scottish people for wanting another independence referendum I'm unsure sir
3: Well, it's not clear. Of course, the Scottish nationalists will argue they have a mandate and markets will, of course, draw a line from that mandate to the risk that Scotland could one day leave the UK. But politics is a game of calculated risks. And actually, this outcome hinges on Westminster giving permission to the Scots for that second independence referendum. And I have to say my hunch is Boris Johnson, arch-Brexiteer, a Brexit conservative party, probably don't think they have a very good chance of winning in a second Scottish independence referendum and hence what they'll probably do is refuse a referendum if it's asked and force a noisy stalemate where really nothing will change. There'll be lots of noise and markets really should just look through it. It won't have any serious economic effects.
2: Callum, I have so many questions. I think about this quite a lot. I mean, it's like you, a student of history as well, and looking at the 300-odd-year relationship between uh, Scotland and England. In fact, before that, of course, before the, the Act of Union as well. Just one very basic question from the English point of view and from the Boris Johnson government point of view. If it is so economically bad for Scotland to go its own its own way and so much money is apparently being passed north of the border... Why then, from a pure economic point of view, are the English so against the Scots having their independence referendum and potentially their independence, if indeed the English potentially would be financially beneficiaries uh, of uh, a break in the union?
3: Well, the clue is in the name of the government's party. They're conservatives. They want to conserve their unionists, so they want to keep the UK together. They'll argue that that 1707 Act of Union is probably the most successful union in history between England and Scotland. It followed the enlightenment in Scotland, the industrial revolution. You have the great city of Edinburgh north of the UK at the English border. So this is really all about conservatism and unionism. It's not really about the economics, but I'm not sure I fully agree with these kind of weird arguments that if Scotland were to leave the UK, England would be better off. No. If Scotland were to leave the UK and say join the EU, that would mean perhaps a hard border between England and Scotland that would add to the Brexit. Uh, uh, the the costs for the wider UK, the reputational damage would be pretty incredible, at least in the short term. And the UK benefits a lot as an attractive hub for global FDI. So I don't think the economics works either way, either for Scotland or for the rest of the UK ex-Scotland.
1: Callum, I must admit, I spent most of the pandemic watching uh, dramas that are based in Scotland. And while some of it's fiction, you get a sense of some of the underlying hatred that existed many, many years ago for the English. And some of this, of course, water under the bridge now. But what we've seen in more recent history, you've had Brexit, of course, uh, that has been a dominant factor in the UK. You've seen a pandemic and you've seen different handling around COVID-19. What does that mean in terms of the unity that now exists between the Scottish and the English? despite everything that's come before.
3: Well, you can see in the independence polls, would Scotland leave the UK? Well, the polls are currently neck and neck, having for quite a while ahead of the pandemic, even with Boris Johnson as Prime Minister, showed a small majority in favour of Scotland remaining part of the UK. We shouldn't read too much into these polls. As we know, it only took a rainy day in June for the English to vote to leave the EU against all of the poll evidence that preceded it. But what we'll probably see is, as the UK, UK enjoys a strong recovery, the vaccine rollout is going successfully, Brexit becomes increasingly a fading memory. It's likely that the polls will shift in Scotland towards remaining inside the UK. So actually, if you're a Scottish nationalist, it's important now to seize the moment while Brexit memories are fresh while the uk's pandemic response at least the initial lockdown is less good it's less effective than some of those in comparable countries in europe and hope that the momentum is in your favour if the conservative government in the uk in westminster can play for time say by 18 months 2 years probably those polls actually shift in favour of scotland remaining in the union and hence the momentum would be lost
1: as you paint a picture of many, many moving pieces out there, what does the market do in terms of pound? Because we saw last time round when we were talking about different versions of what the UK would look like, we saw that risk very much priced into pound and some of the nerves just emerging there in the currency. Too many moving parts now it would seem to, to try and put that into a pound trade. Is that, is that the right call?
3: Uh, I would basically trust that the Conservative government won't be stupid enough to give the Scots a second referendum on the basis that Boris Johnson would not be an asset to the Unionist cause. So while Boris Johnson is Prime Minister, assume there won't be another referendum in Scotland and hence look through the noise, place your bets on the fact that the UK will enjoy an outsized economic recovery. We saw the Bank of England's forecast yesterday relative to continental Europe, growth will be strong. The UK is set for two maybe three years of very good economic growth on that basis there are some very attractive investments in UK assets and hence markets should be focusing on the fundamentals not the political jostling which will probably not have much of an economic drag
2: Callum, I'm afraid we've got to leave it there, but absolute pleasure speaking to you. I've got so many more questions, but we'll ask those uh, in uh, in future shows. Uh, Callum Pickering joins <laughs> us there from Barenburg as well. Guys, I just want to show you one of the reasons why I love Edinburgh so much. So we're, we're right here, and people who know Edinburgh will know that you've got the, the Royal Mile behind me, you've got Holyrood Palace there as well, you've got the Holyrood Parliament. But just have a look, how many other serious major cities do you get this? And I'm just going to make sure I have my lead so I don't go, come around and have a look at this as well. Actually, I probably should take my microphone with me as well my cameraman's having delight come and have a look at this this is old ricky as my mate angus who's uh, as you can imagine north border chap as well calls it this is after the sea can we show it ben come on let's look at that how many other major cities in the world do you get when you get that on your doorstep right next to the proper metropolitan cosmopolitan areas as well by the way i climbed that yesterday i didn't have any of the right gear and i got absolutely saturated on my way down but there you go anyway there you go karen that's a bit of your highlander for you
1: steve i thought you were managing your kilt then when you're trying to turn around i thought you dressed for the occasion
2: my kill (laughs) my kill i've got some very good friends up here as well, and they've all wanted to see me in a kilt as well, and I can assure you it hasn't happened yet. As you well know, there are plenty of kilt shops up the, uh, the Royal Mile. Maybe for you one day, Karen.
0: Uh,
1: Jeff, do you have some special family tartan that you could pull out for a special occasion?
0: Uh, none whatsoever, as far as I know. Um, I hope he enjoyed the deep-fried pizza. Did you get a chance to sample some of the delicacies <laughs> up in Scotland, Steve?
2: No, because you know what I'm like, everyone who knows me, and Karen knows this full well as well, everyone knows me, but on an outside broadcast, the night before, I never do anything apart from hit the sack as early as possible. So if I was here tonight, I would I would crack on. But what's interesting actually north of the border as well is we, we could actually eat in restaurants inside. Ben and I were able to do that last night, but you can't drink alcohol inside yet as well. But you can eat inside, and I think that's probably a nod to the Scottish weather as much as anything else.
0: Yeah. It's
1: like a curfew, isn't it? <laughs> Not drinking
0: inside. Did did, did you get a a chance to sample the iron brew? (laughs) You can buy iron brew in Tesco's in Sussex, mate. I don't need to come here to drink iron brew. (laughs) Ah, but there is iron brew with certain special uh, spirits that... um, uh, an old colleague of ours, Hazel, taught us about a long time ago on a trip up north. But I guess I remember we should,
2: Hazel, dangerous lady.
0: We, should, we shouldn't dwell on the uh, clichés. But as I say, it's OK to talk about drinking because uh, at some point somewhere in the world, there's always someone having a tipple at this stage. But I think the iron brew and vodka
2: <laughs> You've gone early on Friday, painted. Jeff. Quarter past six. You've gone a bit early.
1: I will share my story with you. I went to Hogmanay once many, many years ago. and goes into that misspent youth category. And it felt like, you know, there's meant to be this mega party unfolding in Edinburgh. And it was a little bit lame. There was no one around. The streets were sort of empty. So we sort of wandered into a pub just trying to make the best of it. And then lo and behold, just minutes before midnight, everybody starts streaming out of these pubs into the street. It was absolutely packed i got to say that the Scots were very, very friendly. didn't matter who you were, just as long as someone was next to you and they were, they were a warm body, they were extremely friendly uh, right. at midnight.
0: OK, <laughs> I think we, we should just part that one. I mean, the key to Hogmony in reality, Karen, is that you go from house to house. Right. So it's a neighbourhood thing in Such many ways. Is that a metaphor? Uh, no, not particularly. But the point <laughs> is that you sample the hospitality at different people's homes. Yes. And, and that's what makes it a very different celebration to some of the distance that you may have in other parts of the world when you celebrate the new year.
1: Right. Even the policemen seem very hospitable as well. Glad you had
0: a good. Good. Well, the Bank of England.
1: <laughs> Let's push on to central banking. The Bank of England has sharply upgraded its growth outlook for 2021, forecasting GDP to rise 7.25% this year, citing the ongoing vaccine rollout and eased restrictions. The central bank kept rates on hold and slowed the rate of its weekly bond purchases to £3.4 billion. Uh,
0: Let's take the break. Uh, We'll be back in just a moment. Let's have a look at the US futures. Uh, The indication is we will get a positive start to the trading session in the United States. When we come back, we'll talk about the markets and the outlook for these jobs numbers. The Fed has warned surging asset prices pose an increasing threat to the financial system. The central bank's latest financial stability report flagged asset prices could face significant declines if risk appetite were to fall. Governor Lael Brainard said the situation must be monitored with appropriate safeguards in place. Couldn't have anything to do then with the easy monetary policy at the Federal Reserve and the bond purchasing, one imagines,
1: Karen. Right, exactly. Well, we can see some of that market activity remains. Uh, We had, again, on the Dow, a fresh record close, uh, 34,548. So that appetite for the Dow continues within a number of records, nine-tenths of a percent higher, or 300-plus points to the upside. But if you look at the the picture across the board, uh, we're still off some of the record levels for the S&P, about uh, 14 of 1% shy of the peak. On the NASDAQ, it's a little bit further given the the selling that we witnessed during the week around technology. Even with an upbeat session, it wasn't enough to reclaim some of those higher levels, 4% off its record level. Big moving stocks, though, and Apple was one of those stocks that did participate. It had the most positive impact on the S&P and the Nasdaq. It was one of the big banking stocks, Goldman Sachs, for the likes of the Dow. But I want to show you over the course of the week how the fortunes are quite different from that green that you saw in lockstep yesterday. The Dow up about 2% for the week, solid performing, a part of the market versus modest half of a percent on the S&P. The Nasdaq, though, falling down 23 and it's worth noting, Big fang stocks reversing for the sixth straight session in trade yesterday. Uh, in terms of uh, the individual stocks, you can see how it played out. Apple, that 1.2% pop, 1.5% on Facebook. And you can see Alphabet 1% in the green versus Tesla trading lower. But uh, we were mentioning the Fed. And, of course, the non-fund payrolls report out later today. That's quite instrumental about how the market is thinking about interest rates. The Fed wants to be able to see inflation right before its very eyes. For it moves on uh, this extraordinary monetary policy, but that means the data could make markets a little bit more sensitive this time round. And uh, these big technology names, as we've seen early in the week, very sensitive to any concerns about interest rates at this point, Jeff.
0: Yeah, and I think the jobs number is the key, isn't it, today as we look at these figures because that was a good claims number yesterday, the best we've seen for some time. We're looking at the uh, expectation around a million jobs added here. One of the key questions for me is just what the wage increases are going to look like here because at the moment it looks like it's going to be flat for April, which is somewhat worrisome if we are going to continue to see a pick up in consumer prices,
1: well, we are getting competing narratives, though, that you know the economy is getting back to to where it needs to go to. But still, there's a lot of economic pain, and the stimulus is required from the Fed, uh, from uh, the uh, from Congress on the fiscal side. Yet, employers who are there on the front line trying to rehire workers back are saying they're not getting the workers they want. They're having to pay up to try and recruit. They simply cannot find the, the right ones to staff up the services economy, which uh, means that the, we are dealing with, what, a bottleneck in the economy of a different sort? We're not talking about a ship shortage this time. We're talking about a bottleneck around the, the worker side, which has different ramifications, doesn't it, whereas we talk about the economy getting back to full speed.
0: Well, different angles on this. I mean, I heard uh, one analyst this morning complaining that government support has discouraged people from working, which is a, a, a very traditional conservative line. But about 4 million people have voluntarily taken themselves out of the workforce through this phase. We need to see safety around the vaccines and COVID, I think, before a lot of those people will be tempted back. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.